It's time for Cadillac On Call on News Radio 610 KONA. It's your chance to learn valuable health information right here in our community. Now, the host of Cadillac On Call, here's Jim Hall. Hey, friends, welcome to Cadillac On Call, presented by Cadillac Foundation. And each week we are here on a Wednesday night to talk about the latest health and medical information available in our community. And again, we are going to spend the, the bulk of the hour getting you updated on COVID-19 because, um, you know, we're at the one-year mark, and it seems the last few weeks we've talked about where were we one year ago. And at Catholic Regional Medical Center, interestingly, on March 15th, which is this coming Monday, March 15th of 2020 was the first case of COVID of a hospitalized patient at Catholic. And since then, we know there have been more than, I think, 25,000 throughout Benton and Franklin counties. And so we wanted to provide some context as we try and do as best we can each Wednesday night relative to the coronavirus. And we're happy to have with us, as we have had most weeks during the past year, Heather Hill with the Benton Franklin Health District. And Heather, I guess we choose milestones uh, you can you can look at the the half full milestones and the half empty ones. Well, tonight I know there are two half full milestones. One, you hit a mark of thirty thousand vaccines administered out at the fairground site, and I know today I was in a, in a meeting over at, at Cadillac among our team, and I know Cadillac has just hit thirteen thousand vaccinations provided to folks. So, good news on both fronts, correct? Oh, you're absolutely right, Jim. We've we spent a lot of time looking at some pretty um, sad milestones and frustrating milestones, and to be able to look at, at these two really, really strong um, data points, people are getting vaccinated and excited to get vaccinated, and we just really need to keep that momentum up. How are we doing? I know we keep seeing that the numbers continuing to be heading in the right direction, but Nationally, I was hearing uh, the last few days some concerns of the infectious disease community nationally that the numbers are coming down, but they're not continuing to go down. And I think you were telling us about that in our area, say, back in January. Are we still facing that same issue? We're still concerned with um, where we're at at the moment. We're optimistically concerned, I guess, is a better way of putting it. We're starting to see certainly that that slowing down and decreasing, but it's it's plateauing a little bit more than we would like to see. We're not seeing that continuous downward trend, and that just tells us we need to keep doing all those mitigation efforts a bit longer, and absolutely, when it's your turn to get vaccinated, get vaccinated. Our hospitalization, especially our ICU rates, are still a little bit high. All the rest of our metrics really are looking better, but it's at that point people see the good news and start to relax and quit doing what they need to do, and then the numbers are going to start going back up. On the vaccination front, maybe let's stay on that topic. I know uh, due to the success that's been so impressive, and I know the fairground site of one of four large-scale sites around the state, and I know the Tri-City site has uh, is the first to pa- surpass that 30,000 mark. But, I, but I'm understanding as well, and we chatted on this program last week, you talked about there have been a number of no-shows where people have appointments and aren't showing up. And then I know as vaccine has become more available, it seems, the past week, there are, I guess, the ease with which to make an appointment is, mu- is, is great. But does that mean that people are maybe not 
feeling the the urgency to get the vaccine right now for some reason? I, I think there's a variety of reasons. There's certainly that that rate of no-shows for second doses that not only us at the mass vaccination site are experiencing, but when we talk to our partners locally and across the straight state, there is a little bit of a decrease in what we expected in in showing up for those second doses. So we're keeping our eye on that. But I think we also are looking at the fact that, especially in the Tri-Cities, we've done such a good job of getting the vaccine out to that those first phase um, people that we're starting to see maybe we're ready to start moving into other groups. And that's why we're really happy to see that the teachers have now been included, you know, the teachers and the people who work in the K through 12 system and childcare providers are able to come in and get vaccinated. So we would expect to see our numbers bump back up again. And along that line, the mass vaccination site is going to be changing some of their hours to make it a little more accommodating for that, that working person. Uh, when you're open nine to two, roughly five days, you know, Tuesday through Saturday, that certainly serves the population that we were trying to access. But now it's time to change a little bit to make it more accessible for some of those other groups that will be coming in. And we would expect to see our, our rates of vaccinations go back up again. We're seeing the availability, as you touched on, that this the school working groups and, and daycare providers, I believe, are also included in that ability to now get vaccinated. When, who makes the call on when the next round, uh, the next age group is available or is uh, eligible, I should say, uh, to be able to get vaccinated? Is that a state decision? Department of Health, and they're um, giving indications that we'll probably be moving into vaccinating that agricultural employee community in the very near future. So, you know, it's a, it's a who should we bring on next, plus do we have enough vaccine to do it? And so we have to weigh those uh, two situations and make sure that we are able to serve the next phase of people. And it looks like we'll be able to move into that group in the very, very near future. Obviously, the timing of that decision will be good because, obviously, as the weather warms up and spring starts to appear in our, our area of the state, uh, certainly uh, the, the, the agriculture uh, products and all of that work begins in earnest and goes, all obviously, all the way through the growing and harvest season. Right, and we're working very closely not only with the employers but also a variety of our community partners who their focus really is they want to get those ag workers vaccinated so we don't repeat the problems of, of last spring, summer, and fall where that community was hit very hard and then that it directly impacts our the economy for the Tri-Cities and, and food for the nation. So we want to make sure we're getting vaccines out to that population as soon as possible. I know we visited with Chief Gear last week on the efforts to get to the homebound population and the hard-to-get-to populations who may not have transportation ability to get to these sites. Is that progressing? Yes, I'm, I'm happy to say that we have actually started and they are testing out our policies right now and, and moving the vaccine out in that process that we put together and, and working with that homebound population. So that was a really exciting partnership to have available for our community. 
And if people are at home, maybe listening to this program, what do you encourage them to do? How do you identify people who are homebound or who may fit into this category that need that kind of assistance? Well, oftentimes they're connected to uh, an agency that is serving the homebound, and, and you certainly want to reach out to that agency, and they will get you in touch with this program. But we have also uh, are reaching out to our local medical provider community and letting them know how they can help their homebound patients get connected with um, this homebound service. So we're improving our process as we move along and making sure that really nobody who's homebound, we want to make sure they all have access to this vaccine. We're visiting with Heather Hill with the Benton Franklin Health District. And if you want to get the latest information on vaccinations, case rates, and and the like, go to the health district's website at bfhd.wa.gov. It has an incredible amount of information relative to not only the vaccine, but where we stand as a community and a region on the the prevalence of COVID-19 in our community. We have one more segment of Heather's time to be with us tonight, and we'll talk to her more about that right after this. You're listening to Cadillac on Call on 610 KONA. This program provides general information only. Any comments or information presented are strictly for educational purposes. Cadillac and 610 KONA do not endorse any of the suggestions made by the presenter or callers. Now back to Cadillac on Call. Once again, Jim Hall. We are continuing our visit with Heather Hill with the Benton Franklin Health District. And over the course of the past 12 months, there has been almost a new vocabulary of words for most of us. I know there are common words that in your world, Heather, because that's what your career has been spent doing. But words like pandemic and coronavirus and ventilator and all of these things that we unfortunately had to learn over the course of the past year. There's another word. It begins with the V as in Victor, and that's this word variant. And I know that's one that's uh, all across the country and apparently has now surfaced in our community. First of all, why don't you tell us just what is a variant and why that is so worrisome? Sure, I'd be glad to, Jim. We know that viruses and bacteria, various microorganisms, have a specific genetic fingerprint. And as they mutate, these fingerprints can change. We've been following this kind of technology in the foodborne illness outbreak epidemiology for a number of years where we can look at the genetic fingerprint of, say, E. coli 0157, compare samples from different people's um, diarrheal illness, and determine that there's, they caught it from the exact same place because of genetic fingerprinting. Well, in the world of SARS-CoV-2, which is a virus that causes COVID, we are now doing fingerprinting of that virus. And it's happening all over the United States. It's happening all over the world. And what brought it to our attention here in the Tri-Cities is we were recently notified that the UK variant B117 was found in a sample that came out of our community. That brings it up to about 70 of these in Washington state total. So when a person gets tested for COVID through the PCR method, where they're actually looking for the RNA, about 3% of those samples across Washington state do get tested 
for, it's called genomic sequencing, where they're looking at the fingerprints of these, these, this virus. And by looking at the genomic sequencing, they're able to tell what kind of variants or mutations have arrived in our community, how it's changed within our community. We know that COVID really does about two mutations a month, so we expect to see it change over time. But the important thing for us to do is to keep looking at these and then when we see a unique one come into our, our state or our town, we need to decide, do we do anything different with this information? And what we know right now is at this time, there's no reason to do anything different other than continue those mitigation efforts that we keep telling people to do because we certainly want to really emphasize the importance of decreasing spread. What we know about the UK variant is that it's likely to be um, somewhat more contagious, but we don't at this point see that it has higher um, mortality rate. It, it just seems to spread a little bit easier. So what we're saying is there's cause for concern but not alarm. We've expected this because this is what viruses do. We need to continue to do this kind of testing so that we keep a, a good eye on exactly how it's changing, how it's mutating, where it's traveling around the world, and then determine if at some point we do need to do something different. It also helps us, helps guide us as to whether our vaccines are likely to work, um, if there's some changes that need to be done within how the vaccines are made. Um, but I, I think it's also important for people to understand this isn't a test that you can ask your doctor to perform. If you had COVID, you can't say, now could you please see what variant I have? So a doctor can't call up the lab and say, now test it for the variant. Um, it's just not available in that type of laboratory situation. It's, it's strictly being done for surveillance and guiding public health as we move on through this pandemic. And so has, have these variants appeared in other parts of the Northwest? I mean, literally these variants have been appearing all the way across the United States. And in Washington State, like I said, so far there's 70 cases of the UK or the B117. There's zero variants of the, the P1 variant, and then there's five of the B1 351 variants. So there are about three variants that we're watching right now and we'll keep our eyes out for as, as further testing happens. You know, it's, it's a very interesting part of my job. And it's, you take this kind of information, you know, the laboratory science behind it, but you have to put it with that boots on the ground epidemiology where you actually talk to people and, and get their story. And really it's the two things together that really help guide what we should be doing in the world of public health for our community. Where, where does the vaccine that are, that's are currently out there and now the Johnson & Johnson vaccine is on the horizon, are, is, it, is the evidence show at this point that the vaccinations that people get of any of these three will deal with this variants or these variants? At this point in time, particularly with the UK, there doesn't seem to be concern that our vaccines are not going to take care of that one. So right now with the variants we're seeing across the U.S., 
<clears throat> they're pretty comfortable saying our vaccine right now should be just fine. But this is the way that scientists that go into the creation of vaccines will continue to look at the variants, the vaccine, and probably in, in the next few months, years, however we progress through this, there will definitely be changes to our vaccine. Just like we do the flu vaccine, there's changes every year to that flu vaccine to meet the new variant of flu that is arriving in our community. We suspect the same will hold true when it comes to future COVID vaccines. As we open with our program, March 15th signaled Cadillac's first COVID hospitalization of 2020. And a year later, as we speak tonight, Heather, uh, maybe a concluding uh, summation and from your view, what is your perspective right now as we go into uh, the spring is upon us? Well, I think we are much better prepared as a community we have a greater understanding of what we need to do together as a community to keep all of us safe and strong and, and really what we need to do to open up our, our economy, get our businesses going. Our kids have started to move back into school and we're seeing that going well. So again, a lot of things to be hopeful for, but again, that, that little caution of don't let your guard down yet. We're not ready to let our, our guard down yet. And, and maybe a minute, if you would, on that topic of schools, are you are, you mentioned that you're, you you feel good about where things stand as the schools start to go back to more in-person learning, and I think we're what maybe two or three months in, depending upon the school and and the type of or the grade level of the school. Are you so so you're seeing that that the mitigation efforts and and the steps that have been taken and everything that you talked about about the spread among uh, younger populations seems to be allowing for uh, the production and and the the, the resumption of more normalized in person learning. You're exactly right, Jim. We've worked so closely with all of our school leaders, and they've been very concerned about what they're doing won't cause harm to the children or the staff. And they've taken it very seriously, and the evidence shows, because we continue, we do see COVID infections in the school, but the good news is we are not seeing outbreaks as, you know, large outbreaks and many, many children passing it to each other and the teacher as there had been fear. So we know that the mitigation efforts that the schools have put into place the families are on board with assuring their kids are doing what they need to do. Teachers are doing what they need to do. And the result is a successful return to school. And a final comment, if you would, on I know it's been a few weeks now since the the business side of our openings have have started to to get more relaxed around the state. And you mentioned, you know, we're seeing the case rates are, are still going in the right direction. So is, is that a promising sign that as we start to open up, we're not seeing a corresponding increase in cases? I think it's a little early to tell exactly what impact that will have on case rate. We want to be, again, cautiously optimistic. But I think that's where it goes back to our own personal behaviors and how we conduct our lives in our private life and then out in the public when we're in the stores, when we're in restaurants. Um, So important to keep those masks on. When you're in the restaurant and you're just sitting around the table visiting with your family, that's the time you could really keep your mask on and only take it off when you're really getting down to the eating part of your meal. So again, 
think about what you're doing and how you could possibly be spreading it to others and keep those mitigation efforts going, definitely. Heather Hill with the Benton Franklin Health, Health District. Thanks so much for your time, as always. Back with the second half of Cadillac on Call in just a minute. You're listening to Cadillac on Call on 610 KONA. This program is not a substitute for direct consultation with your own health care provider. Always consult your health care provider for your specific condition, especially if you have or suspect you may have a medical problem. Now back to Cadillac on Call. Here again, Jim Hall. Throughout the pandemic, we have seen the best that people have to offer, uh, whether it's donating meals and services for frontline healthcare workers and first responders, whether it's just checking on a neighbor to make sure that they're okay throughout this uh, past 12 months. All across our region, all across the country, we have seen so many examples of helping uh, people helping others, uh, especially those who may not have the resources or the ability or the physical ability to access uh, some of the services that are so important as we all deal with this pandemic. And there's a group here in the Tri-Cities called the Richland Senior Center, uh, Senior Association. Richland Senior Association is the name of them. And interestingly, as we've touched on in the first part of our program with Heather Hill, uh, the vaccine is certainly in demand whether it's at the vaccination site at the fairgrounds or wherever vaccine is available here in the community. And in most cases, the best way to sign up is through online registration. Well, people don't all have the technology savvy or the computer ability or the the access to computer technology to allow them to get signed up. So that in steps the Richland Senior Association. And so we're happy to welcome to our program Rob Koenig, who was one of the directors at the Richland Senior Association. And for the past uh, few weeks, he and his colleagues have been assisting uh, folks get signed up who are eligible to get that vaccine. And, Rob, why don't you first of all share for our listeners just how positive this has been and how busy you have been meeting this need. It's been very, very positive for us, Jim. And I think uh, from the thanks we get, it's been very, very positive from the people that we've been able to serve. We have been uh, really pretty busy. In fact, when we started out, we severely, uh, severely underestimated the demand. And the first two days that we put our number out, which is the 800-595-4070 number, uh, we had better than 100 phone calls. And we had two people, two other directors, Sharon Fesser and Marsha Maloney, who were manning the phone lines and it was it was overwhelming. All three of us were ready for a nervous breakdown by the end of the first week. But since then, uh, we've got things under control with the help of a lot of people, and we're doing well. We're 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 doing quite well, and we are able to get appointments within a day or two of when people call now, which is really fantastic. You know, we're talking. I think early January, maybe, when the vaccine started to become available to that first group, primarily the the 65 and older age group in the community. At what point did you realize this service that you're providing was necessary? Well, I think it was a little, I mean, it kind of came in steps. The first thing that happened was, you know, being older myself and my wife, we decided we should get our vaccination as soon as we could. And we contacted both of our healthcare systems, and they said, "Well, we'll be doing something soon." And 
then there was a word, some word of mouth out. We wound up standing in line in the morning in order to get an appointment at the Tri-Cities Community Health here in Pasco. And it was cold. There were a lot of people out there in line, and it pretty well occurred to me that as we were doing that, that a lot of seniors really, that's not a good thing for them to do. We'd be standing out in inclement weather to get their shot. And you also you also had to stand in line for an hour or so before you could get your appointment set. And everyone was was fairly careful, but that still seemed like it was you know kind of a large gathering. Then as things went on, they moved from the first come first serve type situation to a appointment reservation, but that required a computer for the most part, and the. Uh, the state has an 800 number set up, and like the rest of us at that time, at the end of January, they weren't very, it hadn't been in service very long. I think they severely underestimated the volume that they would have, and when you would call that number, um, it would, you might be on hold for an hour or two hours before you can get through. And then when you did get through, if there happened to be an appointment available, they would take your information and get you the appointment. If there was an appointment available, then they would tell you you had to call back when there was an appointment available. And so you might have to go through that same process again. That was very frustrating to a lot of people. So we thought that uh, since we've got some computer skills in our group, uh, that we could help seniors that don't have computers, that don't have computer skills, get their appointments. And that's exactly what we set out to do. So here we are uh, in mid-March, and I know uh, if someone happens to be listening home uh, to this broadcast and they are in that predicament, they can call this number 800-595-4070, and then what happens? They'll They'll leave us a voicemail. It's, uh, it's an 800 number we purchased in late January, and we're glad we did it because our original, our original thought was that we would just publish Marsha and uh, Sharon's phone numbers. And <laughs> it would have been disastrous with the demand that we had. Uh, you essentially, you dial that number. Um, a very, well, a voice that's not nearly as good for radio as yours comes on <laughs> and asks you to leave your name, address, or your name and telephone number and we will get back to you, and that's what we've been doing. And right now, we're working quite smoothly. We're returning those calls within an hour now. And when we return, the, when we talk to the person on the other end, we get their information, we get their their birth date. Essentially, we get everything that's required to fill out an online registration for a COVID appointment. And we then log that information and the difference between us and the state really is that once we get on and can find um, appointment times, because we've got that information in front of us and we don't have to call the person back and get the information at that time, we can make that process much more efficient. We can sit there and get six, seven appointments an hour made versus when you're talking to someone on the phone, it may be 15, 20 minutes before you would go through the whole process to get them an appointment. 
we had touched on statistics that the health districts or the the fairgrounds vaccination site surpassed 30,000 vaccinations. Cadillac at its uh, clinics, when it's available to provide vaccinations, just surpassed 13,000. Are you keeping track of how many your group has done, uh, how many people you have assisted? We are. It's not we probably don't keep as good a records as a public uh, agency would, but uh, we, we've we've made oh, well over 200 appointments for seniors that don't have computers and can't use computers since we started. We've had over 500 phone calls, and sometimes you know the, there's there's other things that happen. Seniors can feel very very isolated in this time, particularly in this last year, and. Uh, Sharon, Marsha, Sally, who are our main, uh, and Dottie, who are our main callback people, they take the time to talk to the to talk to who's on the other end of the line, find out a little bit about what their challenges are, and sometimes that's the best thing for the seniors. They just have someone to listen to them, to what they have to say and their frustrations and things that are happening. And, you know, I've I've taken some of these phone calls myself, and it becomes pretty obvious when you're talking to someone that you can kind of tell that might be the only person they talk to this week. So well, just listening to people is a very helpful thing, and we try and do that as we collect their information. And, and of course, the main, the main goal is to get them a COVID vaccination so they can feel safe to move back out in society again and, as we say, hug their grandkids. Well, Rob Koenig, uh, you and your colleagues at the Richland Senior Center or you Senior Association are to be commended for this work. And, and I might add, I don't believe you have to be a Richlander to access it. This is anybody in our listening audience that, that wants the assistance. And that number again is 800-595-4070. Rob Koenig with the Richland Senior Association. We're going to talk with one of his other colleagues to learn more on that topic that Rob just touched on, just the fact that what it's like uh, with that isolation issue and how there is help available in our community for this age group. Back with more of Cadillac on Call right after this. You're listening to Cadillac on Call on 610 KONA. This program provides general information only. Any comments or information presented are strictly for educational purposes. Cadillac and 610 KONA do not endorse any of the suggestions made by the presenter or callers. Now back to Cadillac on Call. Once again, Jim Hall. One of the biggest challenges during the pandemic over the past year has been that word isolation for people of all ages, children not being in their classrooms, getting the instruction that they are normally used to and that interaction with classmates, high school age children as well, and certainly the the adult population and in particular the senior population. Many times people who might be living alone. And so as we just touched on with Rob Koenig, this wonderful program that has started with the Richland Senior Association. Uh, the Vaccination Appointment Assistance Project, where they're helping people who may not have access to computers or might need some technical assistance to get signed up for vaccines. Just one of the things that this group does to help uh, older population in our Tri-Cities area. And we want to spend a few uh, moments before we adjourn tonight with David Everett, who is the president of the Richland Senior Association. And and David, as the president of this group, uh, hearing Rob, what would you think when hearing Rob uh, talk about this this idea that just basically flourished, uh, waiting to get vaccinated in the cold uh, on the sidewalk. 
Well, you know, I don't know. I thought Rob was frozen already. I didn't know that he had to go out there to do that. <laughs> Rob's a heck of a guy, and um, he, his idea in this project that he uh, brought forth is emblematic of what we're trying to do with the Richland Seniors Association, and, and that is to um, a, a identify holes in the net, if you will. There's a lot of organizations, the state, the county, the city, other philanthropic and nonprofit organizations they're doing a lot of things for people, um, but notwithstanding those efforts, th- there still can be little holes in the net. And Rob identified one of those, uh, I think, brilliantly, and they've implemented it. Um, and that those are the kinds of things that we try to do in terms of being um, proactive uh, in supporting the senior community. And, and it, it works two ways, too. Not only are the people that are served help, but the people that are engaged, like our members, our volunteer work, totally volunteer organization, our members benefit. People sometimes think of seniors as, oh, declining people that we need to take care of, and they're way more than that. The senior population in the United States, uh, according to the uh, Census Bureau, is going to double from 40 million in 2014 to 80 million in 2050. Where is our community going to be in that process? I retired from Seattle, and uh, there are a lot of people that are going to be going into retirement years, and they're going to be looking for places to go. And why not have our community be one of those places that's attractive to them, where they can continue to contribute um, and help those that need help, but also help themselves. You can get isolated in a business, in a, in a personal relationship, in a hobby um, it's understandable. We're we're inundated with thousands of things to choose to do, and so we have to pick what we want to do, and that's all great. But over time, we can become isolated in what we do, and what we try to encourage people to do is take maybe 5% of their time and do something they've never done before. Meet somebody they've never met. Uh, do something because it releases chemicals in your brain that uh, are helpful in uh, fending off the onset of dementia and Alzheimer's. So it's a two-way street, and it's about community. It's about us building a loving and caring community uh, for ourselves now and to be good stewards for the people coming up behind us. And do you find you touched on the word, and I know even pre-pandemic, certainly that isolationism issue for people, you know, especially may have they may have become recently widowed. So they're on their own all of a sudden and they need that. They need that assistance. So is that something that this group is trying to do? And and as you mentioned, um, certainly this issue is going to get more pronounced than it is today. Well, you're right. And it, it's to give, like I say, to offer people opportunities um, and give them options. Uh, and, and we don't do this simply by ourselves, Jim. Um, we get the support of the city of Richland, even though you don't have to be a citizen of Richland to be, uh, participate in, that, in, uh, in the RSA. Uh, the city of Richland supports us uh, through making their facilities available at the Richland Community Center. But we're reaching out as well to Pasco and to Kennewick and, and to outlying communities to become involved. We have, we've organized a group that's become self-sustaining uh, called the Intercommunity Planning Group. And I determined making surveys of the different businesses here and, and that are senior oriented that a lot of people have, there's 1,400 nonprofits, I think, in the, in the Tri-Cities, not all related to seniors, of course. Uh, but, each person has their 
activity that that's great and and, and laudable, uh, but how can we interact with each other better? Uh, and the intercommunity planning group is a group of um, retirement community uh, retirement communities, uh, a representative from the city of Pasco, a representative from the city of Richland, and a representative from the city of Kennewick, and they meet and talk about what things might they do. Uh, I think primarily on a quarterly basis. Uh, to offer seniors something that none of them individually offer. And so recently we had the uh, Valentine Gala, which was a two-day event, a drive through on Friday for people could get goodie bags full of don- really nice donated awesome. gifts. Uh-huh. And on Sunday, a virtual uh, Valentine's Day party. Um, uh, Hapo Community Center Credit has been a great supporter of the RSA. Um, they help, put, help us put together that program. And for two hours, people could be entertained with music and dancing, and we had games with prizes, and trivia. Uh, um, uh, what I can't forget the name of the thing, but a, a bingo. Um, and we had trivia and, and other things that people can do socially. So we're not we we try to provide social activities, educational activities, and purposeful projects and. Rob's project is one of those purposeful projects. Uh, we also have Helping Hands, uh, which is to provide free food, non-perishable food, and essential life items to seniors who are isolated without a safety net. They don't have a church. They don't have a family. Uh, and we deliver free food to them um, and, and uh, help essential life support items. Well, we really appreciate you coming on and, sh- and sharing what a what a wonderful service and it's and it's tri cities wide. Even though this particular group is based in Richland, the Richland Senior Association, David and Rob, thanks so much for being with us tonight. Again, the toll free number for any of their services. But if you happen to need assistance getting signed up for a vaccination, call eight hundred five nine five four zero seven zero. Thanks for watching. Thanks for listening. We'll talk again next week.